I believe culture is the only sustainable competitive advantage that improves the bottom line of the business, the output for the customer, and the employee. Welcome to the Next Gen Banker podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I am your host, David Ryling. I am very excited to welcome Josh Levine uh, to the podcast today. Josh, great to see you. Thanks. Appreciate being invited on. Yeah. So just a quick reminder for our audience to stick around at the end of this episode. Uh, each Next Gen Banker episode showcase one new artist from somewhere around the globe representing a wide range of genres. So check it out. It's a lot of fun. And Josh, uh, so great to be with you. For our audience, I'll give a little background. Um, you are an educator, a designer, a consultant, a best-selling author, uh, the founder of Great Mondays, a culture design company focused on helping business leaders build culture-driven brands. Um, your book, uh, you're an author, Great Mondays, How to Design a Company Culture Employees Love, and uh, looks like an adjunct professor at uh, California College of the Arts. So a lot on your plate, That's right. <laughs> all around culture, I imagine. And so I have to tell you, I, I'm getting back out on the road to different conferences and so forth. And culture, 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 the conversation around culture is coming up everywhere. So let's start, Josh, with just maybe a little level set. What is culture? Give us some insight. Yeah, great question. And that was the question when I first get started getting into this about 15 years ago. Um, I also had the same question. I'm like, I think this is important, but what is it? And I think there's a lot of definitions that are kind of floating around, but the one that I landed on was that the cause and effect of every decision that we make. The cause and effect of every and and this is you know this is about companies. So we're thinking about organizations and how people make decisions, how they're influenced in making decisions, and how their decisions influence others. And I think the most important element of this is that it's a it's systemic, right? It's self-reinforcing. And that to me is is why that became kind of my go-to definition. Got it. Very cool. Um I see and I interpret that to mean like Every action I take as a CEO, every decision that I make has ripple effects mm -hmm. across the organization. It, um, it is where my values, if you will, come to life. And if I'm some even contra a little bit to what the, my proclaimed values are, that is, that is evident. So it's, it's walking the talk of decision making, what you stand for kind of constantly, that cause and effect. So uh, that's very cool. Now, Tell me a little bit about your company, Great Mondays, um, and, and how you work to build a great culture within an organization. I, I, I think I get this question a lot, and people are like, well, what's the secret sauce? Do we throw a party? Do we go on a trip with our employees? It's <laughs> right, all about right. you know some swag or something, but That's right. it, it seems to be more than that. It is definitely more of that. Um, the way that we think about culture, um, and this is, uh, this is really how I've um, outlined my book, is in uh, six parts. There's six components, and little they're, they're what I think about as little levers or, or footholds for thinking about how to influence culture. And these six parts are broken up into what I would say two phases. One is the design phase. So that's the first part. So establishing where on the map you want to go. 
is really the kind of the intent. And then the second half is the activation of it. Just because we proclaim that's where we want to go, that's how we want to act, doesn't mean that people are going to do it. As a matter of fact, I almost guarantee by just saying it, it doesn't make a, a, a lick of difference. And that's what we think about. And those are the two phases. So do you know where you want to go? Do you know what it looks like? And once you do, how do you get there? So I'll quickly go through the six components. The first three, which are in the design phase, are a purpose, values, and behaviors. Purpose, values, and behaviors. So purpose is why you're in business beyond making money or personally why you show up to work. Why do you get up every day? Why do you do what you do? That is the peak of the mountain. It's something that should be inspirational and aspirational and something that um, should really almost be something that you could never really achieve. It's it's like it's it's that's how big it is. It's so important. Um, so the the you know some examples that I would say from kind of the retail sector. There's the IKEA. You know, it's improving the the daily the the daily lives of every person. And so you think about every per. What does it mean? It's like IKEA is about about these really affordable you know, pieces of furnishings and like, how do we get this to people? And you can kind of see, you're like, okay, I can understand how that is. Um, and th that that's the kind of thing that we're looking for. There's one from Starbucks. I'm going to see if I can get this right. So Starbucks is um, Im improving people's lives, one cup, one person, one neighborhood at a time. And whether you, uh, you know, think that they're actually doing that or not, that's the second half. I'm not going to say whether that's actually happening, but you can imagine it's like, okay, great. It's about interactions. It's about me as a person, as a, as a, someone who works there. And it's about obviously inspiring people as, you know, a cup of coffee is inspirational in some ways. Right. And then they also have this aspiration of improving the communities that they go into. So those are examples of, of, of purpose statements. Think about it as the peak of the mountain. The next are values. These are how we actually do it. So I can't just say there's the peak, go for it, because you might hit the crevasse or you might uh, cheat and get in the gondola. What you want is to describe a general path forward. How do we get there? Values are the three to five most important things that we're working on in the organization. And that is, that is critical because it provides, it establishes expectations around behaviors, remember behaviors and decisions, that's what we're talking about, that enable people to go, oh, I understand this is what I should be doing. Or a manager can go, hey, listen, you didn't, this didn't work out. The, this isn't, what you're doing here is not aligned with one of our values. And then of course, the third one, behaviors, that's why we're talking about this. This is about decisions. That's why every article about um, I don't know, a choice that that was made or a failing of an organization is like, this is a culture problem because it's repeated choices that in that case, in those cases are causing issues. So that's the first three purpose, values, and behaviors. So we got the first three. Yeah. Um, what's the next three? So the second three recognition rituals and cues. So I'll go through these one at a time. So everybody knows about recognition and rewards programs. It's something that has been around since the dawn of, dawn of business, right? The dawn yep. of time. So what happens, what you're supposed, what, what I believe and what we help our clients do is identify, recognize, and reward values-driven behaviors. What you want is you want to incentivize. It's, it's a little bit of a longer circuitous route. 
So if you want to crank up sales for the next quarter, my brother's a sales guy. He's in sales, so I know exactly what he gets, right? Like big screen TV and the trip to Bahamas, like, you know, sell more things. And you will get that in the next quarter, but it doesn't it doesn't really last unless you keep selling those extrinsic motivators. And how do you do that? How do you go about actually selling? What's important is recognizing the values-driven behaviors that drive the outcomes. Got it. Rewards and recognition, powerful, powerful way to incentivize particular kinds of behaviors. Yeah. And so let me take you in a slightly different direction, but still, um, as we think about, um, we'll talk about the great resignation in a second. I want to get your interpretation of that. Mm -hmm. But the, the role that culture plays in attracting and retaining employees. In today, people uh, say that, you know, that company has a great culture and they refer their friends and so forth. Um, is culture that powerful sphere uh, like gravity that's going to keep and, and retain people and bring them into your organization? Yeah, yeah, it certainly can be. I mean, it, if if you are, if for me, the intent of culture and the reason why I am so passionate about this, right, why I do all those things um, is because I believe culture is the only sustainable competitive advantage that improves the bottom line of the business, the output for the customer, and the employee. And that's the key. Those people, if you are able to invest in and allow for those people to raise up their, right, like, I don't know, get self-actualized, but like become more filled with with purpose and are able to align their own desires with the with what you know what the organization is and how that organization can help them then you're going to have more productivity more engagement you're going to be able to um, bring those people in because you are providing as an organization more than just money and if you're just providing money or the benefits, well, then someone else can provide more. Uh, hey, I have one more. Oh, I have another. I can give you one more dollar. Okay, I'm going to go over there. But that's not really what the only thing that we want. If we cover the base, the bases, the bottom of the pyramid with just that, you know, it's the cash and the benefits, we can then move up to the next level and say, okay, now that you've got the basics taken care of, what else do you want? We want to talk about relationships. We're talking about the people at work that you actually form relationships with, and you can do that over over the internet, right? That doesn't right. that's not that doesn't doesn't matter. I mean, it helps to be in person. Um, you have a sense of impact and effect, a sense of purpose. You're working for an organization that is doing something that you believe in, and perhaps even. When you leave this job, you look back and say, this made a difference for me. I left a legacy. This was a really powerful moment. I learned a lot. There's something that it provided for me in the long term. So that's when we're talking about culture. We're talking about all these different things that help that person, that individual, really become uh, fulfilled in a bunch of different ways that many, many companies don't. And that's my kind of 
pervasively optimistic view. And I realized that not all organizations are going to be like that. Not all people want that kind of job. I get that. There's certain there's elements of that. But this is the this is the sort of great Monday through the great Monday's lens yeah. of this is in a perfect world. This is the power of the potential of culture. I see. I love that. And and I drink your Kool-Aid uh, wholeheartedly because <laughs> I know, I know. it is. I mean, that I've heard you say this more than once, and I love it every time I hear it, that, that culture is the only sustainable competitive advantage. And the fact is, is um, we describe it in, in some slightly different terms, but it's exactly what you're talking about. We call it that it's a double paycheck. Yes, you, you've mm. got the financial, that bottom of the pyramid you described, but it's that fulfillment, that emotion, the uh, I, my coworkers and I get along and I feel fulfilled, I have a healthy relationship, or we're working towards a greater cause and purpose, and we both share this, we want to be a hero to the same people. As a result, there's unity in that, there's fulfillment in that. And so um, there's one other thing that I think we find in, in a in those thick culture companies, as I've looked at them, mm -hmm. employees sometimes go because they're offered a lot of money somewhere else, whatever else, but then they come back because they go, yeah, I got a little more money, but it was horrible to work. It there. wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the money. And so yeah. it's really fascinating uh, how that, that value and that culture and that fulfillment, it's hard to put a price tag on it. But at the end of the day, if you're happy when you're going home and you're excited to go to work, uh, it makes makes a lot of difference. Um, so let's, I, I'll get to the great resignation, but yeah. I gotta go here first. Yes, let's uh, do it. The virtual world and culture. So at best we're hybrid these days. We're, yeah. we're virtual right. everywhere. Um, how does culture live, thrive and survive in, in our digital space? Oh man. Um, yeah, this is, this is a really, um, intense, multifaceted uh, question. And I am still thinking about it and I, I don't have an answer, right? I don't know what, I don't know what the answer I is. I was hoping you did because I, <laughs> I have no here's, answer either. Yeah. Here's, here's what I will tell you is that, um, and let's, let's just take them as they, as they come, which is the big thing, the big challenge that I am observing is about to spring up and surprise everyone is the um, the the acceleration of the degradation of relationships. So there has been one or two studies. It's not been around long enough to to no, notice this yet, right? Of of like to have so many studies, but initial studies show that we are closer with our immediate team and a lot further away with those that are not people we work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, what does that mean? In my book, I describe relationships as the synapses of culture. Relationships are the synapses of culture, which means that the way that behaviors transmit are through exposure. How often? Especially when it comes to a leader or a successful leader, because I want to emulate that person. I want to become successful, whether I'm thinking about that or not. So if we have less connection with others across the organization, what does that mean for our collaborative abilities, our work styles, our productivity, if and when we need to work with those folks? In fact, what we are going to see 
is a reemergence of the scourge of the silo. We're going to see not just a uh, the silo of the business unit, but it's the silo of these teams. So you're working with, what are you working with? Five or six people maybe, or maybe you manage 20 and you're going to see those people over the course of a week or a month. But outside of that, it falls off really quickly. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they care about. And in the worst case scenario, you if you do not know a person, you can make negative assumptions about who they are. That That void is deafening. And so when we lose that, we lose our ability to work with other people. So what organizations need to do, and they need to do it now, is begin to establish the rituals, this is this is component five, explicit and purposeful rituals that connect people outside of their immediate teams. Establishing those relationships. It will bite you in the butt if you don't do it. And you're yeah. going to see a fall off in productivity. You're going to see a fall off in um, functioning, just base functioning, and, and an increase in contentious relationships. If you don't know who they are and you have to go and ask someone for a last-minute request, which of course always happens, the difference is if I know you, hey, Josh, says David, I have a last-minute request. Can you, can you sneak this in for me? Da-da-da, something happened. Absolutely, I trust you. I know you wouldn't ask this otherwise. If I don't know you, who's this jerk? What does he think he's doing? Like, what? I'm busy. He doesn't know what I and and that's just an example of how that uh, and it's not even like I didn't like. I just don't know you. And you need me to do a favor for you. You need me to help you. And I'm just not as likely to do it. So that to yeah. me is like that of in this at like you said, best case scenario hybrid. You are we are uh, we are going to experience this relationship um, decomposition. And because we aren't, we don't have the opportunities to establish those relationships throughout the organization in a physical manner, like at the at the whatever, theoretical water cooler, whatever it is, at the office, right? We have these meetings, we pass people in the hall. Hey, right. Oh, you're the new person. Right. Cool. Like we have these commonalities that are just physical. Now there's no reason for us to connect. I don't know you. I don't see you. And so we need to establish rituals and ways of creating connections in a purposeful way. Organizations did not have to do this before. They should. It helps. But it wasn't uh, uh, an existential threat. Now it's an existential threat. And so that is the reason we need to reinvest in the fifth component of culture, rituals. Yeah. And I hear you loud and clear in that. And it's, um, I, I was thinking at sunrise, we do have, uh, I'll call them rituals in which we do some of that just for the audience uh, to give them some, a little bit of optimism that yes, yes. you can don't wait until, Oh, we have to go back to the office to create rituals. Um, the fact is, is you can do some of this now and I'll just give you one tip for audience wise is you can start every meeting with some type of what we call a segue. 
So Josh, tell me, what was your personal best from last week, from the last time we've met? What was your business best? Just give me, and it's really quick, but we're checking in. Oh, your son's going to college. That's fantastic. You know, I'm, I'm glad you made that choice. Um, it, it, again, you're just trying to bring the fibers together to, to knit it, to, to yep. knit some culture and some, uh, I don't know, togetherness, if you will. And Ex expose the other parts of our, ourselves. Exactly. And sometimes we get tired of the personal best and we will bring up like uh, the other day was uh, National Ukulele Day. And as crazy as that sounds, we would go around the group and say, do you have a ukulele? You'd be surprised how many people had ukuleles. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not quite sure what a ukulele is. But again, as, as crazy as that is, it is the, you begin the fabric and you're like, well, why do you have ukuleles? Oh, my daughter played the guitar and then she's in a band. And so it, it expands, looking for those opportunities in which to create some connective tissue. The, the real trick that I think um, you've posed is how do you do this cross-functionally? Because yeah. a lot of those meetings are very much team and silos, if you will. Um, one opportunity that you could have is when when COVID hit, uh, we started a daily radio show. Um, and we featured people from different parts of the bank and what they were doing um, and why they were doing it and why it was important and, and who they were. Um, and the other aspect of this is if you can get pictures of people um, – with their email or or some type of directory to make a face, so the yeah. day that you do see them, you can recognize them. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. I I think that that connective tissue is, I don't know. Well, I think we've stretched it uh, yeah. during COVID times, and we have to figure out how to rebuild it and and do it both in person and virtual. And it's going to take some intentionality, I think, on on the company's part and management and leadership to do it. So. Okay, Josh, the great resignation. How, how do you in, interpret it? I I don't quite understand it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Another yet another question. I don't have an answer to. Um, I, it's a it's a re. I, I like the frame that I've heard of kind of the the great reevaluation of of priorities and. I think there is there I think we are going to look back in five years and say it is the culmination and the cause of uh, the result of a few things. One, of course, is people who just do not feel safe and they don't want to go to work. and that that makes sense. and it's not worth it, right? So we're reevaluating our our lives for the paycheck. And that's a really interesting frame, right? So it's an immediate threat in the kind of more, I would say the more privileged uh, business community, people that are able to work remotely. You mentioned it briefly, which is we no longer have former, the constraints that we once had. We no longer have the physical constraints that require us to be somewhere. And if an organization now, now you have a demand, and in, an, it's like an instant increase in demand. So I can reach out to you, and we can I can give you an I can give you a better offer. So you're going to get more, and just at the base level, higher higher wages. That's it's an easy that's an easy answer, and so we've got to think about how do you maybe counteract that with culture. Are you going to see organizations that have stronger cultures to have a lower resignation rate? My hypothesis is yes. 
And on the flip side, if you have a good culture and you're able to articulate it, communicate it, you can bring that, you can bring those people on, onto your side. So I think those are, though, to me, those are sort of the two pieces that we're looking at. And, and it's just like what matters to me now. And I think we said it earlier, maybe now the extra 10,000 a year that you might get for working for a, a jerk is just no longer worth it. And so I think what I learned in trying to listen closely to all of the information about the Great Resignation is that these folks aren't just leaving and leaving the workforce. They're leaving and they're going other places. And that, it's a, it's a big shuffle. And so what we are, it's a very much a capitalistic result, which, you know, I think the free flow of human capital in this case. I am no longer bound by a half hour drive from my to my office. So what does that enable me to do? So I can live in the same place and work for somebody else, or I can move anywhere and work for anywhere. And that to me is really compelling. And I think we're going to see the markets. I think one of the outputs, right? We're starting to see this. Well, what's the pay equity? If you're, if you, is it the same across the organization or is it, well, it's a, it's, it's like tracks to the kind of the living wage of the particular person and where they are. Or if you come into the office, you get paid more. And if you don't, then, well, you don't have to spend money on the, on the commute. So we'll pay you less. There's sort of this really interesting, like, whoa, what's happening? And I think those folks, I think that conversation is going to happen. That's going to, we're going to see what, it's interesting. We'll see a bunch of different versions and experiments of this. But ultimately, that's not where the game needs to be played. Right. You're missing it entirely. That's not, uh, you need to figure that out. But that's just, the, as we are saying, the bottom of the pyramid. That's just the base level. If that's where you're trying to like, Ooh, we're going to get more people if we're going to let them remote work remotely. And then someone else is like, we're going to let them work remotely more. And you're like, well, okay, then I'll go there. Like, how, where does that go? So that, that to me is like, we're early days in these organizations and leaders understanding like, what do people want? And the ones that figure out what people want above and beyond being at home all the time and that salary are going to be the ones that succeed sooner. Yeah. That is the best explanation I have heard. <laughs> Thank oh, good. You. All right, good, good. <laughs> and um the, the most logical if and and again it's a journey uh to discover what it is employees want and what mm. how that fits the value of the organization and how both can uh prosper if you will from uh benefiting one another. I don't I, yeah, I don't want people to walk away and say, well, <clears throat> we just need to give uh, employees what they want. It's not a one-sided equation. What you're what we're describing and we started this way. It's a system, it's an ecosystem. What is it that the company does well that people will appreciate? What is the authentic thing that you can as an organization can offer someone? 
that benefits the organization as well. Yep. So, so yes, I think ping pong tables, or I guess that's what they were, but maybe retreats or, you know, giving people stipends to set up standing desks or whatever it is, you know, that's, that's great, but that's, that's not the, the only thing. And, yep. and that, that needs to be part of the, part of the equation, but it, it isn't the entirety of it. Yep. So Josh, I have to, I'll close with you here. And what is the next gen banker question? So I'm going to I'm going to phrase it a little different but in relation to building and sustaining a competitive advantage culture what does the next gen banker look like caring about not just financial capital but human capital and understanding that it's the humans that are the biggest resource that we have the most expensive resource that we have and even in this distributed financial world or whatever, you know, autonomous organizations or whatever you want to call it, even in that world, you're still talking about humans and you're still thinking about communities. And that is going to be a critical piece of this. And and it's the people that are the reason why I care so deeply about culture. Um, it's why I got into it. And, and it's my yeah, it's my mission in life to help more organizations understand the power of culture inside their organization to improve people's lives and the world around them. Josh, uh, thank you. Thank you for your insights um, and how to build a great company culture. Uh, I, I can almost hear the notes being taken on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have scribbled them down as well. Hey, always good to talk with you. Thanks so much for making the time and being on the Next Gen Banker podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. For this episode's musical feature, we're showcasing Jesse Sprinkle. Jesse is a New York State-based musician originally from Seattle, Washington, who has been involved in numerous projects and genres throughout his career. His music falls on the melancholy side of beauty with surprising splashes of cheerfulness. Here is Kindly Numb by Jesse Sprinkle. Numb by Jesse Sprinkle. And you can find more of Jesse's music at jessesprinkle.bandcap.com. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Banker podcast, email david at nextgen-banker.com with a link to your music and website. Well, there you go, folks. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you next time.